The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuli. It's Tuesday night. Trav, how are you, my man? Doing good, buddy. How you doing? Other than this, uh, looks, sounds like you're battling a bit of the flu here. Yeah, I was going to say, it's good to be back among the living, um, but I'm not quite sure I'm 100% there yet. I'm I'm trying. Uh, Cassidy and I both uh, came down with the flu over the weekend. Uh, found out today she also has strep. Um, gotta tell you, I would rate that experience uh, zero out of five stars. Would not recommend. Not, not not great. No, no, not great, Bob. But uh, you know, on the mend, trying to get a little better. Not a moment too go. soon, because uh, today we saw the uh, the Cleveland Browns introduce Kevin Stefanski as their new head coach. Uh, Stefanski is coming to Cleveland, having most recently served as the. Offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. And so to help us learn a little bit more about who the Browns are bringing in here, we turn to someone who uh, has been covering them. Joining us tonight is Arif Hassan, who covers the Vikings for The Athletic in Minnesota. Arif, thank you for taking the time tonight. How are you? Uh, No problem. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? All right. All right. So what were your overall impressions of Kevin Stefanski having covered him in Minnesota? What kind of guy are the Browns getting here? Well, uh, before he was uh, an offensive coordinator as kind of a quarterback's coach, he was a little bit more uh, uh, talkative, but I think as he kind of moves up the chain, he's you know, a little bit more willing to, to, to toe the company line and be a little bit closed up. So, you know, I, I hope the Cleveland beat writers have, uh, you know, some good luck getting some some pretty good quotes from him because it was pretty tough for us by the end. But, you know, it's pretty clear that he was a very knowledgeable guy that the organization loved him, not just for kind of everything that he knew about football and picked up about football along the way, but just kind of the way that he interacted with everyone. He survived a number of, uh, of coaching changes, so it was pretty clear that the organization has been a big fan of him for a long time. Uh, and, you know, it's pretty clear, I think, from the presser that, that he's, he's just a very smart guy. You know, he knows – um, a lot about obviously football, but kind of a lot about uh, a bunch of different areas, um, which I think is always important because I think as a head coach, you find yourself kind of interacting uh, in, a, in a, with a bunch of new ideas that you don't necessarily have, um, you know, the the background in football to deal with. And so if you've got kind of, uh, you know, knowledge about a lot of different things, it'll help. And I, I think he does. He's got a finance background. Um, it's clear that he knows how to use it. So uh, I, you know, I, I find him as, a pretty even-keeled, super level-headed guy um, that's done a pretty good job connecting with players, does a pretty good job kind of explaining his thought process uh, when he is kind of willing to explain things, uh, and uh, and pretty charismatic. What is the mood in the Twin Cities right now about him leaving to take the Browns job? I, uh, I saw a lot of prisoners of the moment on Twitter over the weekend, uh, given the way the Viking season ended on Saturday. Uh, you know, the offense uh, kind of stalled a little bit against uh, the 49ers, um, are, are people sad to be losing him fans? Um, what, what's the general public sentiment right now? If the Vikings had never made the playoffs, people would be so sad he was leaving, but, uh, you know, after, after, like you said, a disappointing loss to the 49ers. Now that's the thing, you know, they, they didn't get the offense going against the 49ers. Uh, suddenly he's, you know, really bad offensive coordinator. They're, they're happy to see him go. 
or at least that's what that's what the mood is like on Twitter. And Twitter isn't necessarily, you know, real life. But uh, you know, this is the best Vikings offense that they fielded since they've had Brett Favre. And I mean that in terms of rank and points scored, rank and points per drive. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a really good offense, and you know, he was a really big part of it. But you know, now that now that you know he's gone, people I, either you know are only paying attention to that, that 49ers game, or you know they're they're kind of engaging these rationalizations about you know whether or not it was really him behind the successes of the offense. And you know, some of the responses I got were people saying essentially, whenever the offense was good, it was Kubiak. Whenever it was bad, it was Stefanski. And I don't know kind of how they know that, but that's you know, great news for the Vikings if it's true, I guess. So uh, I think my initial reaction, and I think what a lot of people seem to, especially in Cleveland, when they see hires like this, there's kind of like two polar ends of the spectrum, right? Everybody hopes that it's going to be like a Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan type. In Cleveland, we just lived through um, – Freddie Kitchens, who's sort of the opposite end of that spectrum, being sort of a younger, first-time, offensive-minded head coach type of guy. Um, it's interesting to me how Cleveland as a whole seems to be very much against this. Um, how, I guess, how is, maybe not just in Minnesota, I don't, I've heard his name thrown around a little bit. And even last year, we heard his name being thrown around when the Browns were looking at hiring a head coach. Where, um, I guess, where do we think he kind of falls on that spectrum in terms of how he's regarded around the league? I don't think anybody thinks he's going to be like a complete flop or anything, but in terms of, you know, is he, because it seems like he's more run focused, at least as people are saying, not one of these guys that everyone thinks will be super innovative and all these other things, but where do you think his style falls on that sort of, on that spectrum or that, you know, compared to other guys around the league? It's very difficult to tell because, you know, we've only got a year of him being a play caller uh, and, and free game. Um, but, you know, his, his kind of coaching DNA comes from so many different places. You know, he was hired as soon as, uh, you know, Brad Childress came in and the Vikings got rid of Mike Tice. Um, and so, he's, you know, he was the assistant of the head coach. Uh, and then he and he's played different roles in this organization with different offensive coordinators, uh, and not even all West Coast coordinators. I mean, they had North Turner as an Eric Coriel guy, and they also had, you know, John DeFilippo, who uh, is a West Coast guy. And so, uh, you know, he's worked with a lot of different systems. And I, I think the fact that, um, and so now people think of him as a Kubiak guy because that's who we need the offensive assistant was. But you know, you could just as easily trace him to Andy Reid, right? Because of Brad Childress. So uh, it, it's really difficult to figure out kind of what that that DNA comes from. Um, I would not take it as a definitive truth that the way that the offense was run in Minnesota is the way that it'll be run in Cleveland first, because, you know, he hasn't committed to necessarily calling plays or anything like that. But second, um, it was pretty clear that Mike Zimmer wanted to run a run first offense. Uh, And in fact, they'd fired the previous offensive coordinator because he was throwing the ball too much. He wasn't running it. Vikings were, I think, second in the league in total pass attempts. And now, they're like the fourth fewest or something like that. It was very clear that, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer wanted them to run the ball. Uh, and so I don't know how much of that's an influence uh, that, that comes from Zimmer, how much of that is kind of organically what Spansky would do if you were able to run the team, or what do you do in a different situation where he's got, you know, maybe a couple more pass catchers uh, in Cleveland. So um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I wish I could give you a more kind of definitive response. I'll say um, I wouldn't try to put him in a box just yet because uh, there's, there's kind of a lot of, of kind of football history behind him that comes from a bunch of different branches. And uh, there's a lot of kind of 
factors that complicate the picture with regards to, you know, how much they'll run the ball, especially because early on the Vikings were running the ball a lot because they had the lead in a lot of games. Like they, they, they only threw the ball 10 times against an Atlanta. And I can't think of a situation in that game where you'd throw the ball any more than that. So uh, there's, there's a lot of complicating factors there. I, I wouldn't really want to put him in the box. Um, I would say it's very likely that he's going to be an innovative guy. I really like the passing concepts he put together in terms of the run pass balance, you know, I mean, there are games where they ran the ball a lot and Mike Zimmer after the game was like, yeah, I kind of wish we ran the ball more. And so I, I don't know that, that I would take a look at kind of the run pass splits in Minnesota and say, Hey, Cleveland's going to look a lot like this. Well, I was just going to say, I think, because if you look at sort of the way Minnesota is put together, their offense is composed as well as the Browns, they seem pretty similar, right? They both have outstanding dynamic running backs, two really good um, wide receivers on each side that are on the smaller side, right? Um, so I think when you look at the tools they have, it, and I'll be honest, there were points this year where I don't know how seriously they were taken, but people were throwing Kirk Cousins' name out as maybe a potential sleeper for an MVP. And anyone that can do that, in my opinion, is sort of a miracle worker. So I'm optimistic on that front, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I mean, you take a look at, at, at the Browns personnel and, you know, depending on kind of how much people trust in Joku, you know, that could be kind of interesting too to add, a, you know, another pass catching option. And I think also I would argue that at, at depth, you know, for receiver, Cleveland probably has a little bit more, which is not to say that they've got an extraordinary amount of depth, but I would say it's probably better than Minnesota's. They might be more willing to put more receivers on the field. And the Vikings had two great tight ends or two tight ends that they wanted to put on the field a lot. So they ended up running 12 personnel uh, and they didn't like putting, you know, three wide receivers on the field. So I could see them putting more wide receivers on the field and that could lead to, you know, throwing the ball a little bit more. Uh, And then also just kind of the strengths that, you know, Baker Mayfield has, you know, if, if he's more comfortable in shotgun, uh, than Kirk Cousins was, and Cousins is, was very, very comfortable under center. He was more of an under center quarterback than shotgun. You might find yourself in shotgun more often, and sometimes it's more difficult to run out of shotgun, so you might throw the ball more too. And so those kinds of things can kind of uh, change the picture, as it were, in terms of you know how often they want to run the ball or how often they want to throw the ball. Certainly if you wanted to take a look at what happens when they do decide to throw the ball or what happens when they do decide to run the ball, I would imagine the concepts would look similar. But just in terms of you know, how often, you know, they, they decide to do one thing or the other, I would say that that's probably up in the air. And I would think that, you know, somebody who's kind of at the top of, of you know, Deep Desta's, you know, list of coaches um, might be a little bit more receptive to kind of changing those strategies as the season progressed based off of kind of what was working, what wasn't working. You get the impression that Stefanski is somebody who will adapt to the talent that is on a roster because you mentioned there that you know the Browns might have a little bit more depth at wide receiver so maybe they you know run some more sets with more receivers because it's just one of these things where as you might be aware the Browns have gone through a coaching change or two over the years and one of the things that it feels like has happened so many times is you bring coaches in and all of a sudden they've got a different philosophy you know this happens so much with like a defensive front seven we're like, oh, now we're going to be a 3-4 team. Well, all the personnel that we had when we were a 4-3 team, we need to change all these guys out. And it just feels like you're creating problems that didn't exist before. And it's like you're you're already trying to fix enough other things that created a situation where you needed a coaching change to begin with. And, and now you're adding more things to the shopping list, so to speak. Do you see him as someone that can adapt to who the Browns already have or – 
should we buckle up here and expect uh, some significant roster turnover, do you think? Um, I My intuition is that he, that he would rather kind of adapt. Um, one of the stories that kind of came out of Minnesota that uh, isn't quite, you know, a, a direct relationship to the question that you're asking, but it's kind of close to his, you know, uh, philosophy adaptation was that when they brought in, you know, Gary Kubiak that ended up bringing in kind of Kubiak's whole staff. So they brought in Clint Kubiak and, and Dennison and Periani uh, as the tight ends coach. And so you ended up with a bunch of people who spoke Kubiak's language, which the offense is very similar. They're all West Coast guys. Uh, but Svansky didn't speak Kubiak's language. And he was like, well, you know, the more people here speak that language than speak, you know, my terminology on offense. So I'm just going to learn the way that they talk. Uh, and I'm going to use their language and their terminology instead of kind of trying to get everyone to learn kind of what I say. Uh, and so that, I think, would, would kind of lend itself well to the spirit of adaptation. Uh, and then also the Vikings did have some injuries this year with Adam Thielen kind of missing essentially half the year. You know, the Vikings had to figure out, you know, they don't have much depth at receiver. They ended up playing a, a seventh-round rookie um, as their second receiver. Um, you know, they had to figure out kind of what they would do and what the offense would look like without that receiver, um, which I think also kind of informs the, the run-pass splits. Um, so you, you take a look at kind of what Adam Thielen did and what BC Johnson his replacement did, and you see different route concepts, certainly, you know, significantly different route concepts. Plus, Herb Smith is not really like a basic, you know, 6'4", 250-pound tight end. He's kind of more of a mismatch, like a Jordan Reed kind of guy. And so they ended up using him a lot differently than they used other tight ends. Uh, and so on the field, you ended up seeing offenses that looked a lot different from week to week based off of, you know, kind of who was available in the defense that they were playing and, and what that defense was good at. Um, you take a look at Kyle Rudolph's targets, and he doesn't have that many targets in the first half of the season. The second half of the season, they went up against defenses that didn't have, you know, the ability to match up against somebody who was 6'5 in the red zone, and they threw to him a lot more in the red zone and ended up working out. So, you know, based off of the limited sample size that we have of, you know, personnel changes and matchups and all that that, that Spansky dealt with, plus kind of other areas where he's had to adapt, like the terminology they used to call plays. I would say that, he, that he's much more adaptable. He's much more interested in finding kind of what works for the players that are on the roster than kind of hoping that you'll end up with talented players uh, that, that, that fit the system a little bit better. So uh, I, I would say he's more adaptable. Again, you know, when you switch from offensive coordinator to head coach, a lot of things change. It's really difficult to forecast that. But his history suggests that he's, he's a much more adaptable, adaptable guy than I think a lot of coaches are. If you had to guess, I think one of the biggest questions that we've we talked about it all year with Freddie Kitchens this year, and it's always been a, a frequent topic of conversations. But if you had to guess, do you think he'll do you think he'll be he'll be calling plays? He'll want to be calling the plays next year, and um, to go along with that, I guess, does he seem like a guy who? I guess it's always hard to say, right? Because he's a first-year head coach. But um, does he seem like a guy who will maybe not be super willing to give up some of those things that he's been good at? Understanding that now he's a head coach and there's a lot more on his plate. I think one of the things we saw last year with Freddie Kitchens a lot was um, the the newness of being a head coach meant he didn't have the bandwidth to do as much as, you know, he was doing the things that a head coach needed to do, but also holding on to some of the things that he probably should have been delegating away. Um, I guess how, how, in your opinion, with what you know about him, how do you think Stefanski would, would be likely to go around about handling that? Yeah, I, I wish I had a definitive answer. I, I would guess based off of kind of what I know is that he'd be willing to give up, you know, the, those play calling duties to somebody else. 
Um, it, it struck me as important to him, you know, when, uh, when the Vikings chose not to promote him and hire John DiFilippo, um, and, you know, he kind of wanted to go over to the Giants to be their offensive coordinator and, and was blocked. You know, it, it struck me as, as something that he really wanted to do to call plays. But, you know, at the same time, you know, he's very willing to kind of understand what might be best for the team. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he worked within the system. He was able to call plays for about 19 games, I guess 21, including the playoffs. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe that remains important to him and maybe he thinks it's kind of the best way to move forward as a, a, as a head coach. But, you know, one of the first things he said in the presser, I think, was that, you know, it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care about who gets credit. Um, which actually Kirk Cousins said a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he attributed it to Ronald Reagan. I guess I guess Spansky said it was a Harry S. Truman quote. I haven't looked it up, but um, I guess it doesn't matter, right? Because you know who knows who gets credit. But uh, I, it it seems like the way that he's approached his job for the past however many years has been to kind of displace ego. Um, if the Vikings, you know, if he didn't want to bring in Gary Kubiak, the Vikings would not have brought him in. Um, and, and for some reports, it was actually kind of his idea. So, uh, and that complicated the picture as regards to who got credit for how good that offense was for most of the season. Uh, and so it really seems like based off of kind of his history, there's not a, a ton of relationship between kind of who gets what credit and what might be best for the team, uh, at least with regards to him. Now, whether or not he thinks it's best for the team that he's the play caller, I don't know. And maybe that's why he didn't commit to it. But, and it might even depend on the offensive coordinator. If they're bringing a guy, you know, where he can do a lot of things well, but maybe not call plays on game day, he won't, he'll want to take that over. And maybe, you know, they'll bring in an offensive coordinator where that's his strength and he won't want to take over. So maybe that will also play a role. But my guess is that he won't want to be the play caller. Arif, are you surprised that, uh, Kevin Stefanski hasn't been linked to more head coach uh, openings around the league. I think we saw that he was possibly in line for an interview with Carolina before they went with Matt Rule. But um, other than that, I think the Browns over the last two years are the only team to have interviewed him for a head coaching job, and they interviewed him twice. And I, I'm is that surprising to you, or or what do you think there? Uh, it's not surprising to me, but it's also not, I think, a mark against him. I just think he hasn't had that much time to kind of make his mark. Um, I do know that uh, there were rumors that the Vikings would trade Mike Zimmer to the, the Dallas Cowboys and promote Kevin Spansky to head coach, which you know, I, I would think is not a great move, not because of what I think of Spansky, but because of what I think of Zimmer. Um, but you know, that's how much the Vikings organization respects Stefanski. So um, if if his biggest cheerleaders are the ones that know him best, that's probably a good sign. Um, I, I don't know, you know, kind of what the thought process is for, you know, a lot of other organizations when they, when they decide to figure out who their head coaching candidates are. I think we were all surprised by Joe judge uh, with the New York giants, but you know, a lot of it's kind of based off of networks and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, maybe the Panthers, you know, they saw kind of a can't miss opportunity with a guy who's known to be a program builder with Matt Rule, and maybe Stefanski would have been on the short list if he wasn't available. Um, so I'm not surprised just because, um, you know, it, it, it sometimes takes a while for, for people to get noticed. He's still relatively young, despite how many years he's been in football. Uh, and I, I would have imagined that if he had stayed with the Vikings and the offense was about as successful as it was, you know, this last year, uh, that his name would have come up a lot more often in these conversations. So um, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't say that that's a bad sign or anything like that. Okay. So I, 
uh, I guess all of that quickly as well. Obviously, get let you out it here pretty quick. Um, if you were to summarize it really quickly, what kind of coach are the Browns getting in? I guess one to ten. I think you you might be a little biased on this possibly, but um, <laughs> one to ten, I guess. How do you see sort of how do you see Stefanski working out as a head coach? Do you think he'll be a natural that slides right into it? Do you think he might be one of these guys who takes a little bit to you know get used to the new role? What, if you had to predict, how would you see it going? Yeah, um, I'll answer that that first question first because it's actually probably a little bit easier. Um, but it's, you know, like I said, you know, he's he's a guy that uh, I think maintains an even keel. He's been able to develop relationships with players. It never really seemed like, you know, he was somebody that, you know, would sacrifice his relationship with a player unless it was very meaningful, um, while at the same time kind of finding ways to maintain accountability. Um, and the way that he talked in the press was actually very similar to the way that he's talked a lot in Minnesota about finding additional ways to, to improve the offense and, and gaining edges to win and stuff like that. He's very curious about kind of ways to improve teams and stuff like that, and he's very committed uh, to the idea of, of constant improvement. Uh, and so uh, he'll, he'll relate to players, but, you know, he certainly is accountable. And, but I think mostly you're getting somebody who everywhere he's been, or at least rather everywhere he's been surrounded by, um, and that's three different coaching staffs, mind you. Um, he's been extraordinarily well-respected as somebody who works pretty hard and, and gets along with people. So I imagine he'll end up being uh, a very good leader. As to how it kind of works out, I, I never know. I almost, I almost never want to try and predict how a head coach does just because, you know, how good they are as a coordinator provides you with absolutely no evidence as to how good they'll be as a head coach. I think Cleveland fans know that maybe better than anybody, but you take a look across the league, that seems to be the case. Um, as to the qualities that he has and how it translates to head coaching, I would say they're largely positive. I think it's probably a better sign than not that Cleveland went with somebody who wasn't necessarily a flash in the pan, but it focused on process more than kind of the most recent outcomes and stuff like that. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hedge my bets, and I'm not going to pick 10, but you know, it would be a cop-out to pick five. So um, I'll say probably around seven and a half. I don't want to say he's like a home run because I just don't know. I can never know. Um, and it's so difficult to predict these things. But I will say, you know, I'm kind of optimistic, right? You know, if they had gone with, like, John Filippo, it would have been a lot more pessimistic. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like kind of what he's brought to Minnesota. I don't know what he's brought to Minnesota that translates into being a head coach. Um, but, uh, you know, these things are inherently difficult to predict. Um, I like what I see. Well, Arif, we like what you have brought to our podcast tonight. This has been awesome, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, he is Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. You can read him on The Athletic as well. And uh, that is going to do it for us for this week. As a reminder, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, and, of course, you can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. That'll do it for us. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, 
and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.